I'm going to ask that we all bow our heads in prayer. Just start rattling off all the bad things I've done until you get tired of hearing about them or what? I'm going to talk to you about the judge of the fatherless. Uh, I'm sure he doesn't mean to be so difficult, Mrs. Cleaver. It's just that he's at the age where he doesn't realize how important it is to keep a promise. Which Bible stories you want to hear? He's just a Sunday school. Thanks, Dad. Welcome back to the Faith of the Fathers podcast. I'm your host, Carl Gessler, here to reignite the faith of the fathers. And I'm going to tell you today why I think I have discovered why I have never cast out demons, at least that I haven't cast out demons intentionally and consciously until recently. So the reason I have never cast out demons in the past is because I didn't think that Christians have them or had them. I never... I don't know if I truly thought that. I mean, I I just never thought it through. But there are lots of people. That's the number one pushback that I get as I talk about deliverance ministry is uh, many Christians really detest the idea that they could have demons. It's, it's very threatening. Um, I've seen this multiple times now. Uh, and I think actually the reason for that is a very significant one that has to do with really not fully understanding God's love for us. But that's a conversation maybe for another time. But demons hide under the belief that we can't have them, but we can. One of the things I'm learning about demons as, um, as I go deeper into deliverance ministry is that they are sneaky little punks. They are like, I, I don't like the idea of comparing them to children because children are made in the image of God. Demons are filth. So, but there is a certain element where the demons act like a rebellious, stubborn child. Uh, they're that, they're petty and they are um they're willful. And uh so they're also sneaky. So they it makes sense that they would be hidden from sight by allowing us luring us into believing that we can't have them. But I believe that is very wrong. I do want to say that I make a clear distinction. Um, I don't think the word possession is helpful when we talk about demonic influence. It's my understanding that when uh, I could, don't read Greek or Hebrew or Arabic, but when the um, when the King James Bible was being translated, they chose the word possession um, in their translation, which is just simply unfortunate because um, the idea of possession to us sounds like you are completely out of out of your mind, you're out of control. Something else is in 100% control of your body. I think influence and oppression are much uh, more helpful description of, what, uh, of what's going on with demonic activity in our lives. But Paul says in Ephesians 4, 26, he says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. And really this whole passage, this whole section in Ephesians 4 and 5, it's full of um, kind of do's and don'ts that that Paul is giving. And I'm just going to make a note here. A lot of times Christians talk as if, uh, you know, the law uh, that, that God has some kind of expectation for us is something in the past. Paul gives a lot of do's and don'ts here. He says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. He has a lot of 
don'ts right there. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. There are a lot of do's. There are still do's and don'ts in the Christian life. Um, and the don'ts are the th- uh, one of the things that opens the door to demonic activity in our lives. Paul says, do not give the devil an opportunity. An opportunity for what? An opportunity to oppress you. That's that's what these warnings are about with the do's and don'ts. He's not saying, Paul is not saying in this, if you do these things, God will stop loving you. God will never stop loving you. But you will only benefit from that love when you trust in it. And uh, trusting in it means giving up the idols. So Paul also says in Ephesians uh, 5.18, just a little bit later, he says, here's another don't, uh, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So there is a there is an either or right there. He says, don't be dr- don't be filled with wine or spirits as we call them. Don't be filled with. Uh, so when you when you drink and are drunk, you are you've given yourself over to intoxication. You and you have made yourself wide open to influences from demonic spirits because you are not in control anymore. You were made to be in control of your body. You are sovereign over your body. You are the one anointed by God to make decisions for your body. When you give into um, controlling uh, substances like alcohol, you have transferred, you have basically let go of the steering wheel and whatever else might be floating around in the car is going to now take take charge as long as you're under that influence. Um, so Paul makes this either or, and he's talking to Christians here. He says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's an either or kind of thing. And if you're not filled with the Spirit, you're going to be filled with something else. Paul also says in uh, Ephesians 4.30, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. So what happens when you grieve something? When you grieve the Holy Spirit, it it leaves. You know, um, I don't think it's without uh, without... Uh, meaning that when David prayed, take not your spirit from me, he earnestly meant it. Like when David had sinned uh, and he was in exile from his um, throne, he was grieved at uh, the the way um, he had brought shame on the name of God and, and he uh, didn't want the Lord to take his spirit from him. A lot of us, I've actually, years ago when I was um, helping lead worship um, as an 18-year-old, in for some middle schoolers, I sang uh, Keith Green's song, Create in Me a Clean Heart, O God, and Renew a Steadfast Spirit Within Me, uh, which is from the Psalms. And one of the lines is, cast me not away from your presence and take not your spirit from me. That's directly from the Bible. And I was confronted by some of the other leaders saying that you can't sing that because God doesn't take his spirit from you. I was, uh, and I was texting back and forth with somebody this morning over this kind of thing. When we get too, uh, when our theology gets too much um, committed to paper, it's hard to really practically apply it because we we get panicked over the language, um, because we want to say, "Oh, the God doesn't take His Spirit from you," because that that uh that means that you are are not eternally secure or whatever and we want to say once saved always saved like the goal here is not to put some kind of um artificial band-aid over our insecurity to say 
don't worry, whatever else happens, just put this Band-Aid on and you don't have to worry about whatever happens next or any difficulty in your life. That's not the goal of the gospel. The goal of the gospel is the healing and resurrection of all creation and especially the human race. Um, what Jesus wants from you is for you is freedom. He doesn't want to put a Band-Aid on your insecurities. He wants you to be free from those insecurities. So we're not trying to put a Band-Aid on anything today. We want deliverance. Paul clearly says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. If you grieve the Holy Spirit, he's gone. That's, you know, when I'm grieved, <laughs> when I'm in the presence of someone and they are grieving me, I don't hang around for further abuse. I go away until they uh, maybe are in a different mood and I return. I'm not suggesting here that God ever abands- abandons us. Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. A hundred percent, that is true. But uh, so long as we're pushing him away, um, he's not going to be able to do anything for us because he respects the sovereignty that he gave us over our own bodies. So, um, you know, when when it says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, you don't have to worry or get panicked about that because if you have grieved the Holy Spirit, the only thing you need to do is to repent and say, Holy Spirit, come to me. I want you in my life. And that's it. He's not going to hold a grudge. He's not going to... <laughs> he, he's just standing there waiting for us to turn around and embrace him again. So don't uh, don't get tied up in knots over that, please. But Paul does say, don't do it. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And when you grieve the Holy Spirit, you embrace something else. We, are, we don't go to ground zero. There is no neutral in the kingdom of God. You are either for Christ or you are against him. Not maybe consciously, but when you are when you refuse to embrace Christ, you by default embrace something else because uh, we just that's just the way we function. We aren't made to be a zero. We're made to be filled with something. And so Paul says, "Don't grieve the Holy Spirit." He says, "Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit." So all this says to me, Christians definitely can have demonic influence. Any any place that isn't governed by the Holy Spirit is a place that has demonic influence. And uh, so we we will see God move a lot more when we f- embrace this fact that you and I can have demons in our lives. You and I do have demons in our lives. Every lie we believe is demonic. He is the father of lies, and he loves to steal, kill, and destroy. We all have some level of sickness and death and destruction in our lives, some more than others. All of that is satanic work. All of that needs to go. When we recognize this, when we embrace that this is the work of Jesus in today's world, right here, right now, in your life, you're going to see revival. We're going to receive a revival. We haven't, we haven't seen revival because we simply have just not believed that Jesus is in the business of delivering us from these everyday kind of problems. So let me tell you my own deliverance story. I didn't think of this as deliverance at the time in in the sense of demons. I did see it as a radically good thing that happened in my life. A little difficult at first, but not really. Um, it was shortly after my dad passed away, and I was thinking of reflecting on his life and mine. I, I knew that my dad had a, a great reputation in the community. He liked to joke with people. He often made um, kind of uh, uh, he, he poked fun to make a point. I remember many times being in the bank, particularly, where he would 
lean on the counter as the woman was uh, typing away at her computer, and he said to her, do you like doing, you like your job? Uh, she said, oh, yeah, okay. He said, how often do you do this? She said, eight hours a day. He said, how do you like your liberation? And, uh, you know, the, the kind of the hair would stick up on the back of their neck a little bit. Uh, and I remember another time, obviously this is a theme with my dad, but we were working at this, uh, we were painting, painting for this daycare center. And a woman was there pouring this big tray full of drinks for the kids at the daycare. And he said, would you rather be here pouring drinks for 20 other ki- people's kids, or would you rather be at home with your own kids? And again, my dad could say these things that would somewhat make people upset, but they always smiled and they kind of liked him. Uh, and so when my dad passed away, I wanted to be like him. I mean, I already wanted to be like him, but you think about that a lot more when your dad suddenly disappears. And I was only 23 at the time. And so, you know, I was just trying to mo- even more embrace like what what made my dad successful because I wanted to be successful and I saw him as being successful. And uh, so I would make similar comments, but people grimaced and seemed to get angry with me. Um, I didn't seem to, like, they didn't smile when I came into the room like they did for my dad. And I just was having a real honest conversation in my soul as I was driving past that bank one day. And I had this revelation that I accepted. A lot of times we have revelations that we reject and we kind of shut them down before we fully comprehend them because they are too threatening. But thank God I, I didn't do that. At this moment, I, I said to myself, why is it that they react one way to my dad, but they react another way to me? And I realized that when my dad said those things, what he was saying playfully is, I like you and there's a better way for you. And he pointed it out in a jovial way. When I did it, I was saying, my way is better than your way. Your way is stupid. And uh, people received that in the spirit. They, they knew that. I, you know, like, I just I couldn't put my finger on it until that moment. And so at that moment, I realized two things. One is that I believed myself to be better than other people. And ironically, the other thing is kind of the exact opposite was that I was so fearful of being rejected by them that I rejected them before they had a, a chance to reject me. So I had a spirit of pride and I had a spirit of rejection. And I acknowledged, I didn't use that language at that time, I acknowledged that it was um, pride and insecurity. And I repented. That was a, a major revelation. It was humbling, but it was also deeply freeing. That's what when we talk about deliverance, we're talking about freedom. It was deeply freeing. I went around to people that I knew I had hurt after that through my pride and insecurity, through the through the mean things that I said to people, even though they were all in the form of jokes, they were still mean, and they were received that way. And I began to apologize to people that I knew I had hurt in that way. And I began to establish relationships and friendships like I never have before. That was deliverance. I also experienced a level of rest and peace in the Lord that I had never known before. It was a deep knowledge that I am accepted, not because I get everything right, but because he's good. And so I rested in his grace. Um, And that was a major breakthrough moment for me. That was deliverance. I see that now backwards a lot clearer. And you may say, okay, well, that's, yeah, I can see that, but that's not the same thing as what happened in the Bible, because what happened in the Bible, you know, you had people uh, rolling around on the floor, fl- foaming at the mouth, 
Uh, it was much more dramatic. Well, there, that happens too. <laughs> uh, actually, um, there's a situation where someone I know was ministering to someone who had been through deep trauma, and he was surprised when she all of a sudden ran to a garbage can to throw up after uh, during during their conversation. And that, I've learned since, was deliverance. There was a demon leaving. That often is one of the ways that demons will leave. Um, but there are other manifestations as well. I was talking to someone here in this room uh, recently. We were going through um, uh, different things that we had listed, negative emotions, abuses, traumas, uh, sins, occult activity, and renouncing things. Um, I identified a particular spirit. Um, I'm just going to say it was a spirit of fear for the sake of telling the story. And I commanded it to leave. As I was commanding it to leave, the person started shaking, uh, especially in their abdomen, and their shirt actually literally was moving up and down. uh, And I was kind of a little surprised and taken back. And I got up to stand in front of the air conditioner back here um, to make sure it wasn't blowing on the shirt. And it made no difference. Uh, The person was saying that their abdomen was tighter than they had ever experienced it before and that they couldn't make it that tight. They also couldn't stop it. Um, And this person is a Christian. Okay. So uh, I kept commanding it to leave, kept commanding it to leave. He continued to shake. And then it seemed to climb up his shirt and all of a sudden in a last kind of a last like letting go it let it let go near his chest and he looked up at me and said it's gone and um since that time the the uh deliverance has stayed the 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 um you know I called it a spirit of fear but I'm just using that as a point of reference and trying to protect privacy here but this person will just say call it a spirit of fear does not suffer from that anymore that was a manifestation, a real um, deliverance, biblical, st- you know, gospel story style, uh, and it happened to a Christian, and it happened in a Christian. Um, I know another person, in a much less dramatic form, was told that they recognized that they had a spirit of anger. At first, they denied it, um, and then later, uh, maybe a week or so later, when they were experiencing anger, they said to themselves. This really is a spirit. I'm, I'm being, uh, I am in a spirit of anger at this moment, and they renounced it and told it to come out. A short time later, they burped, which may sound weird to us, but that again has been the testimony of many people uh, that I have heard over the last few months. Uh, that burping is also a way of, of demons leaving. They're like they're literally in your body. They get a hold of you, which is why it's connected also to healing, because you literally have a demon inside your body, maybe wrapped around your intestines or inside your hearing, your inside your ears, somehow blocking your hearing um, or uh, causing chest pain or whatever it is. And they come out physically many times, not all the time. There are many times where you might not even notice anything physically, but you do notice later that you've been delivered from something that was... Uh, negative. It was ungodly. It was not good in your life. Um, And so this is happening to Christians. So in conclusion, and this is my conclusion, is that if we want to do the things that Jesus did, which you can hardly go 
a few paragraphs in the Gospels without reading about Jesus healing the sick and casting out demons. If we want to do what Jesus did, and if we want to do what the fathers of our faith did, and throughout his church history, uh, people, uh, men, mighty men and women of God have done this, healed the sick and cast out demons. If we're going to do that, we have to start by recognizing that they're involved in our lives And the first place we probably should start in casting them out is in our own lives. Make a list of the negative emotions that you regularly feel. Make a list of any occult activity that you have engaged in, whether it was something, even uh, just a movie, a movie about a seance, the the, uh, Stranger Things TV show, um, a Ouija board or tarot cards, or fortune teller, or, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of Halloween activity that can be open doors. You just make a list of these things. Um, make a list of, uh, well, there's there's a whole lot more. We can talk about that more in another time. But just start with that, negative emotions, sins, occult activity, and renounce them. Um, and if you recognize, uh, you, you may feel something moving in you when you do that because demons, they're losing, they're literally losing their grip on you as you announce those things. Tell it, command it by the authority of Jesus given to you and given over your body, command it to leave you. When we start doing this, we're going to see revival. We are already seeing the beginnings of it here in Western North Carolina. We're going to see more and I speak that prophetically. I believe that to be true. And I believe it's going to be true for you. If you take seriously the call, the calling to be holy, you are going to see revival. You got to be honest with yourself, though. You have to recognize evil for what it is. Um, when you recognize sin in, in your life, call it out for what it is. It will do you no good to try to whitewash it, to try to make it not sound as bad as it really is. You got to accept what you find there and trust that the grace of God is big enough to cover your sin and the power of God is strong enough to evict that sin from your life. All right, we'll talk to you guys soon. God bless. God bless.